All right, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. The show is zero credentials. It just keeps firing off opinions anyways, and somehow just can't get it on the first try for some reason. A couple couple takes per episode here on getting this thing started. I don't know why, but I digress. Second episode of the day, college football episode for this week. Going to talk about everything that happened last week. Get you a few games coming up this week in addition to the Monday night game, of course. Uh, what we got on the docket today, we are going to be talking about the enigma that is the University of Georgia after that strange, strange stretch of games that they just went on with Samford and Missouri. Uh, the boys crack into the top 25 for the first time this season. By the boys, I do mean Mississippi State. So, going to be homerish today, obviously. And how I think Iowa should solve the dilemma of what to do with Kirk Ferentz, all that shit and more. And I did not even get a whole minute into the episode without cursing. I am so, so bad at this. But either way, with that said, before I curse even more, let's get into the Monday Night Recap, shall we? Because we had, well, a game was played on Monday night between the Rams and 49ers. The Monday Night Recap. And the Rams traveled to the 49ers. And, uh, well, long-term trends continue to hold true here in the NFC West. McVay owns Kingsbury. Kingsbury owns one sweet-ass drug kingpin house. And Shanahan owns McVay. Everybody got their notes taken. Everybody knows how that works. So we can all just not be surprised going forward when this sort of stuff happens, okay? All right. Uh, The game itself was a slow burn, but the 49ers felt like they were in control pretty much the whole way through, with the exception of Cooper Cup, because, I mean... How the hell do you stop that guy? I mean, he basically just works the underneath constantly. He can get open on anyone within 10 yards, I think. He can always move the sticks. Um, he may not be a guy that stretches the ball deep over top, but when you on a third and manageable situation, third and eight and better, um, Cooper Cup is absolutely automatic at keeping the sticks moving. If you got a good offensive line and, uh, you know, other good weapons around him, you can make a real offense out of that. Unfortunately, that is not what the Rams have right now. Uh, the Niners just played behind their defense, slowly chipped at the Rams until the floodgates opened in the fourth. Uh, Samson Ebukam and Nick Bosa seemed like they were in Stafford's face pretty much all night. Both of them had a pair of sacks in this one. Uh, an injury to center Coleman Shelton uh, created an even greater hole in the middle of that line than what was already there. They're down to their third string center, a guy who just got activated off of the practice squad this week, or I guess last week at this point. I don't even know the guy's name at this point. That's how much of uh, a... Well, I hate to I hate to just just dump on this guy, but he is kind of a no name third string guy. Was just on the practice squad until recently, so all that is to say, there is not good things coming out of this uh, this Rams locker room right now. This Rams team overall, uh, the Niners dominated the line of scrimmage, racking up seven sacks while not allowing a single sack on the other side, and just one hit to Jimmy G all game. And Jimmy G isn't a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but if he's untouched. Just like literally any other quarterback in league history, he'll hurt you. That's an absolute fact. He will hurt you if nothing else. Um, the fourth quarter started with Robbie Gold field goal uh, to put the Niners up 17 to nine. Then, with six and a half left in the game, breakout star of the season Talanoa Hufanga stepped in front of a Matt Stafford pass with a head of steam and took it to the house to put the Niners up for good. 24 to 9 and boy do I hope Talanoa Hufanga keeps making plays because he has one fun fucking name to pronounce I will tell you what let me tell you that is four and a half minutes into the podcast and I just cursed again boy do I stink about this but hey 
whatever, we're, we're here now. Anywho, the Rams got a long drive going on the ensuing possession after that, but even even that ended in disaster. Ball just slipped out of Matt Stafford's hands on his windup, on his windup rather. Jesus, words are already giving me trouble today. What else is new? Uh, fumble. Samson Ebukam, who we talked about earlier, accidentally punches it forward, so it looks like a pass. And this is why the defense always makes sure to pick up loose balls, even if they seem like incompletions, because. Kerry Hyder just fell on the ball, and before anyone really even knew what happened, just out of instinct, he fell on the ball, just in case sort of thing, and it was 49ers ball. Just like that, game essentially over. So, when you ever see the ridiculous shit after plays where an obviously incomplete pass is picked up like the by the defense like it is a fumble, just know that's why. It, it's stuff like that because weird stuff happens in football sometimes. It's a weirdly shaped ball. Uh, if your hands get sweaty, sometimes the ball gets slippery. I know as, a, as someone who is a chronic sweaty hand sufferer, this kind of comes up a lot in basketball. That shit does not stick to my hand when I'm playing basketball because I got sweaty, clammy, disgusting hands. So, yeah, if Stafford probably dealing with something like that, when you're dealing with something like that, trying to whip the ball forward with pressure in your face... Not a uh, not a great formula for not fumbling the ball. I'll just put it that way. After all that, 49ers win this one comfortably, 24 to nine, and Kyle Shanahan improves to eight and four all time versus Sean McVay. I believe he is six of the last seven, five of the last seven, something like that. He is absolutely dominating McVay on the recent standings. Some notable performers in this one, though. On the 49ers side, Jimmy G, just below 60% on uh, 27 passing attempts, but 239 yards, so just short of nine uh, yards per attempt. That's pretty great there. Uh, one touchdown and no turnovers, so didn't play out of his mind, but certainly didn't shoot the team in the foot. Uh, certainly didn't Put the team over the top, but didn't shoot them in the foot. That's kind of all you can ask for from a Jimmy G. This that this is what he is. I mean, he'll he'll have a great game every now and again. But this, on the average, we saw average Jimmy G on Monday night, and you can win with average Jimmy G, especially if he's not being pressured in the backfield at all. Uh, behind Jimmy G had running back Jeff Wilson uh, going for. 4.1 yards per carry, 74 yards, a touchdown, a 32-yard run in the first quarter to, to put the 49ers up early. Debo Samuel was the real star of the game, though, as he had an electric 57-yard uh, touchdown. That was, I believe, third down? I, I know it was third down. I can't remember exactly what quarter it was, but either way, on the game he had six receptions, 115 yards, but that one touchdown he had, I mean... 57 yards. It was on a short slant. Um, whoever was covering him jumped the route and it did not work. And then he broke just about approximately 20 tackles on the way to the end zone. Absolutely electric. And that was basically, I mean, you can't say the game was over from there because there was so much game left to play, but that play and the Jeff Wilson TD were really what carried the Niners on offense in this one. I mean, Talanoa Hufanga had the uh, the pick six, which ultimately got them that third touchdown. But without that, pretty close game right till the end here. Um, speaking of who, Talanoa Hufanga continued his fat, fantastic start to year two with a pivotal late pick six in the fourth quarter, like we talked about before. He was the star on defense outside of Samson Ebukam and uh, Nick Bosa in this one. And again, both of those guys had two sacks, so fantastic day 
for that entire 49ers defense, that might be one of the best units in the entire league. Uh, on the Rams side, not a whole lot of highlights over here, but uh, Matt Stafford, 254 yards, 5.3 yards per attempt, completed two-thirds of his passes, 32 of 48, excuse me. Um, zero touchdowns, though, and two turnovers, one interception, one fumble lost. Um, also, not a whole lot of rushing attack behind him, which probably didn't help uh, when it came to attacking the defense. He had 57 rushing yards, not, not him particularly. Uh, the backfield team, on the whole, had 57 rushing yards, 3.2 yards per carry, zero touchdowns whatsoever. And when you got a bad offensive line, that's just kind of how it is. Um, on the outside, had a couple notable performers here. Uh, Cooper Cup had 14 receptions, 122 yards, no touchdowns. But man, what more? What more can you say about this guy? He can get, like I said, within 10 to 15 yards. It doesn't matter. You can put five guys on him. He will find a way to get open. He is just that damn good at that short to intermediate range of his route tree. Um, if you're, I mean, Tyler Higby as well, 10 receptions, 73 yards and a touchdown. Between those two, 24 of Stafford's 32 completions. Uh, that is 75% of all completions made to two guys and we got to ask the uncomfortable questions here because that's just, that's what we do, right? Is Matt Stafford a racist throwing to only, I mean, 75% of his passes. I don't even look at who the other ones were completed to, but I'm sure there's a white guy in there somewhere. Maybe, maybe a Ben Skoranek worked his way in there, but something, but you got you to wonder why is he throwing so many passes to white guys? Does he just see his black teammates and be like, they're not getting open? Got to ask these tough questions, man. Is Matt Stafford a racist? This is... This is why you tune in, folks, right here. This is hard-hitting analysis. we got to ask the tough questions that people aren't asking, really. Everyone thinks that, hey, Cooper Cup is just so overpowering, you got to lean on him constantly, but why are you leaning on, on Tyler Higby then? Couldn't possibly be that you're working all these short routes because you have no time to throw. No, 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 that's, that's utter nonsense. It's because Matt Stafford is, in fact, a racist, so you heard it here first. Uh, don't quote me on that. I, I still love you as a guy, Matt Stafford. Just just saying. Um, anyways, in spite of the offensive struggles, Aaron Donald was still Aaron Donald. Uh, he racked up two tackles for loss, uh, generally controlling the line of scrimmage by himself with the exception of that 32-yard uh, Wilson run in the first quarter, which, by the way, he was not even on the field for that run. So biggest running play of the game for the 49ers happened while Aaron Donald was off the field. Uh, outside of that, I mean, absolutely dominated. Aaron Donald is still every bit of that player he's been for his entire career. Maybe the when it's all said and done, probably the greatest defensive lineman of all time, maybe the greatest defensive player overall of all time. Only the history will tell and how long he plays, what kind of numbers he puts up from now on, what how long he continues this streak of excellence. Um, hope he plays for a while, but at the same time, he did just like basically was a step and a half away from retirement this offseason. I mean, told like everyone around him that he was going to retire this offseason and ultimately just decided not to for, for whatever reason. I mean, I assume the, the pay raise was a big reason there, the, the contract extension and all that. But that is, that is to say that he was halfway out the door this offseason I mean, what's going to happen a season? I mean, hell, this next offseason, 
two off seasons down the line, three off seasons. I mean, the game's not going to get any less physical, any less painful to play after a certain point. So, I mean, just watch that. Just just watch to see uh, if he still kind of keeps his head in the game going forward. Obviously, physically, mentally, he's in it this year, but who's to say what happens a couple years down the line? Something we got to watch. Uh, honorable mention for that Rams defense goes to Bobby Wagner. Uh, he led the team in tackles, but most notably, absolutely decapitated a fan. I mean, the Capitated, took his goddamn head off, um, running on the field during the game uh, with a flare, pink flare. I assume he was protesting some bullshit. I probably affiliated with PETA in some way, shape, or form. And you know what? I want the smoke, PETA. Come at me. I love steak. I don't even really love steak. I'll eat the shit out of it though. I fucking love meat. And you know what? I'll I'll look that I'll look that livestock dead in the eyes. And just know that you're going to taste really fucking good one day. So yeah, I want all the smoke pita. But all that is to say, I absolutely love it when professional defensive players, really just professional athletes in general, get the rare opportunity to just destroy a civilian. And they just take full advantage of it. It's a beautiful thing to see. Really, Bobby Wagner could have hit the guy harder. Uh, Might have caught charges that way, though. You don't want to get the helmet involved with someone who is not wearing pads. That sounds like a brain injury waiting to happen. And you don't want to kill the kid. You just want to incapacitate him for a second. I mean, forearm shiver, shoulder straight to the chest. I mean, absolutely. One of the greatest tacklers in the entire NFL. Would we expect anything less of some some normie guy protesting running onto the field? I think not. Absolutely legendary clip. If you've not seen it at this point, I encourage you to go watch it because it is fun. In fact, I have a specific format of the clip I think you should watch. Watch the uh, the Manning broadcast um, with Peyton and Eli Manning. Obviously, what other fucking Mannings would I be talking about? But uh, watch the replay of that one because Peyton Manning gets very, very into that. And I it warms my heart... I, Obviously, it warms his heart as much as it warms my heart. So, yeah, I encourage you to uh, go look that up when you get a chance. Uh, Takeaways from this game. These Rams still have great players on defense and very good skill position guys on offense. But that offensive line is going to keep them from winning anything this season in all, all likelihood. Bottom line, that is it right there. I've talked about this before, but it's never been more evident to me that this Rams team may ultimately sneak into the playoffs. But because of, you know, general weakness in the NFC, but they won't win the NFC West, and I don't think they're going to win a playoff game this year, especially if they have to go to Lambeau or Tampa or Santa Clara once again, for that matter, if they have to face the 49ers. Obviously, we talked about it before. It's kind of joking, but there's something to it after a certain point. Shanahan absolutely owns McVay historically. Obviously, got him last year in the playoffs, so there is that bit of recency bias there. But when you look at it, get right down to it, Shanahan against McVay on his own home field, I like Shanahan in that matchup. They went to the Rams last year. They wouldn't be doing that this year. I feel like top to bottom, the Rams have a worse team than what the 49ers have, even with the advantage they have at QB uh, between Matt Stafford and Jimmy G there. Everything else around Jimmy G is just so much better than what Matt Stafford has. Um... This Rams team is simply not built to make a playoff run in 2022. Well, technically it's early 2023, but you know what the hell I mean. It doesn't matter. Um, Jury's still out in the 49ers on the other side with Trent Williams in the backfield dinged up. But not a question in my mind about the defense. Them and the Eagles are the absolute cream of the crop in the NFC. Um, I'd even go so far as to say this might be 
the best defense in the entire league, right up there with the Bills on the other side of the bracket. And hell, even the Bills are a bit dinged up too. This 49ers defense, I mean, name one thing they don't have. I mean, they got a star pass rusher in Nick Bosa, uh, a good supporting actor as well with Samson Ebukam. If he plays like he did in, in the Monday night game, absolute weapons they got there on the outside rush and the passer. So you got that. Not entirely sure what the interior defensive line situation is there. I do I do recall distinctly that I believe it was Eric Armstead that, that got injured on Monday night. Uh, interested to see what turns out there. But behind them, you got Fred Warner, uh, maybe the best interior linebacker in the entire league right now. And then on on top of that, you got Traverius Ward on the backside. Um, God, they got a they got a different safety. They got a safety that is very very good. His name escapes me. I apologize to that man. So sorry to that man. But you know what I mean. This this 49ers defense absolutely suffocating, overpowering. One of those defenses that hey. If you can stabilize things in the offensive line, we know Shanahan can get a run game together. If Jimmy G can just make a few plays, this team is still good enough to make a run in the postseason. Maybe they won't get all the way to the Super Bowl. I feel like it's the Eagles' conference to lose right now. But with what they have in the building right now, they can make it to the playoffs. They can win at least one playoff game yet to be seen from there, but they got a, they got a feisty team this year. They might shock some people going down the stretch, even with the uh, the questions at quarterback, which when have they not had questions at quarterback? Let's just let's just be honest here. Also, some updates since we last spoke. Uh, Lewis Seen somehow forgot to mention this. I, I don't know if I forgot or I just the mentioning of it just just flittered away from my mind. But Lewis Seen actually got a compound fracture in his leg. Forgot to mention that on Tuesday, my bad. Um, but hey, he I think he's almost at a point where he's flying back from London at this point. He had to stay a lot longer than the rest of the team. I mean, it's not like we gotta have him back in practice, you know. It's he, he's done for the season. That's 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 the bottom line there. Uh but yeah, he had to stay in London for several extra days to I guess have a preliminary procedure done on his leg, uh, to kind of set it and then had a big-time procedure either yesterday or today to get the actual compound break itself fixed, and then I assume he's going to fly back to the States if he's not already flown back by now at some point later this week. But yeah, hope Lewisine gets healthy. Disappointing rookie season. Hope to see uh, Hope to see him really out there making an impact for a secondary that wouldn't really needed him this year, but you just hope he comes back healthy next season. That's all you can hope for at this point. Uh, the Broncos putting Randy Gregory on IR could not really, I, I might've just not worked hard enough to find the information, but I could not find any information on what particularly the injury was. Um, I think it, it was either a hamstring, it was lower body. I know that much. I think it was either a hamstring or a, um, a knee injury. I don't know. Either way on IR, which means he's, he's gone for at least four games though. They're going to have to have some real, real interesting conversations about generating pass rush on the defensive side. Uh, they did have Chubb and Gregory as that one-two duo there for a while, but without Gregory there, you just don't have that threat anymore. Interested to see what this Broncos defense to kind of compensate for that loss for the next few weeks at the very least. More, Just more bad news there in uh, Bronco land, or as some people like to call it, Denver, I would say the normal people, in fact. Uh, but I digress. The Patriots brought back Jamie Collins. 
again. And this is this is the fourth time with this team, man. This is the fourth time Jamie Collins has gone out to sow his wild oats, made a bunch of money, didn't stick with the team for long that he signed with, eventually got cut, and then just kind of meandered his way back to uh, back to New England. At this point, I'm just convinced th- this guy is a double agent recruited by Ernie Adams to get intel on the defensive schemes of the competition right now. I mean, it's 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 the only thing that makes this make sense to me as to why this keeps happening, as to why he just keeps coming back to the Patriots all these times after teams just keep signing him. Like, he must look fan-fucking-tastic in these workouts, however the hell teams decide uh, on signing him. He... I, it's perplexing. I mean, I'm, I'm at a loss for words at this point. He has to be some sort of double agent because he has just seriously spread himself all around the league, gone under a whole lot of different coordinators. I'm not sure uh, the Patriots really learned. Got a whole lot in the scouting report when they came back from Matt Patricia. Uh, think think pretty much all of the all the good and you know most of the bad aspects of Matt Patricia did come from the the Patriots facility when it was all said and done but otherwise I mean this guy is just an absolute like he's a spy he's a spy let's call it like it is teams need to stop signing Jamie Collins because you know he's just gonna get there he's gonna soak in all the knowledge and then never see the field you're gonna cut him I mean no matter how much you pay him you're gonna cut him it just feels like that's how how this all works out for Jamie Collins then he's just gonna go back to Bill Belichick with about 150 pages of notes on your defensive scheme and he's gonna you know, decipher that down, give it to the offensive staff, which just happens to be the defense, the defensive staff too in New England, and uh, they're just gonna start dicing teams again. This is what the Patriots do, man. Don't don't act like you wouldn't be surprised if that did end up being the case for Jamie Collins' career. Uh, one of the highest paid spies, uh, corporate espionage guys of all time. If that is the case, that's that's for damn sure. All right, gotta pick up the pace here. I am taking way too much time on the NFL segment. I mean, this is. It's a college football episode. What am I doing? Either way, we got Shaq Leonard already been ruled out for Thursday night's game with his concussion. Also ruled out today, Jonathan Taylor. So that game, that game on Thursday, oh boy, I I probably should have picked it uh, as my under for the pick pentathlon. I'm giving that one out as a free pick, not putting it on my uh, on my record just in case it doesn't hit. You guys know how it is. It's a business decision. But I mean, if you're if you're a betting man, woman, or other. I mean this this over or this under rather on Thursday night, uh, looking spicy. That I mean the Colts without Jonathan Taylor, they are a lost team. That is for damn sure. Also Nathaniel Hackett on the other side. Need I say more? <laughs> need I say more? Either way, uh, not looking awesome for the Colts. Disappointing uh, start to the season. Again, said it before. I'll say it again. That that whole that whole Colts regime from head coach to GM are not looking good. Start start looking at uh, alternative housing arrangements. Start putting telling your agents to put out calls, update your resumes. Tell them you know there might might be uh, might be on the market after this season. Just a uh, just a thought. Uh, outside of that though, Falcons place running back Cordero Patterson on the IR with a knee injury. I assume that that Arthur Smith. He seems like. He seems like he is one of those offensive just gurus when it comes to, I've, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, um, building a house out of a box of nails, that dude does that, 
I mean, just look at the Falcons roster, look at what they have for him to work with on offense, and then look at the offensive performances he's been able to put together. The guy just gets results. He is just so damn good. Um, Without Cordero Patterson, it'll be interesting to see how he schemes up some more running attempts, but hate to see uh, one of the better running backs right now in the league go out like that. Um, a guy that I have a bit of an affinity for as, as starting his career with the Vikings, having some spectacular plays with the Vikings as well. Hope he gets better soon with that knee injury. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has already been named the Dolphins starter for week four. Not a surprise there after what we saw from Tua in the Thursday night game. Not going to rehash all my thoughts on that. Uh, Kami's rookie wide, not wide receiver, running back, Brian Robinson has been medically cleared to play after getting shot twice in the leg in the preseason. And I talked about it before. First off, already a legend, absolute legend, instant street cred too when it comes to uh, being in the locker room. That that's that's the main thing for me. I mean that that guy, instant respect. I mean to get shot twice. I don't know if anyone's gonna see that. Oh, it was just a pastor injury. Guy guy got incredibly lucky. That I mean just a just a full recovery this quickly. No no no. All the players in the locker room are going to see is, damn, that dude got shot and he is back. Like, we didn't have to put that son of a bitch on IR. He just kind of came back all willy-nilly. That is some impressive shit right there. <laughs> that is that is some shit that will earn him instant respect in the locker room. Um, Antonio Gibson's still the starting running back, so I don't think that's going to change. But I, I assume he's going to play a, a fairly, fairly pivotal role in that running game going forward whenever he does actually get cleared by the team to get back into action. Uh, and last update from last time we spoke, I suppose, uh, another one staying in Washington. Commies also expect rookie wide receiver Jahan Dotson, who's had a hot start here to his rookie season, to miss one to two weeks with a hammy issue. Um, I assume it's just a, a minor hamstring sprain, but early in the season, you don't want to exacerbate that too much. That's just one of those you got to let him, got to let him sit down for a little bit. It's not like this team is going to really get anywhere when the season's all said and done. They got two solid teams at the very least. I mean, they got the best team in the entire conference in their division. That's that with that. Holy hell. The words right now, just not coming out, but in the Eagles, they got the best team in the conference in their division. Also, they got a very, very good team in the in the Cowboys. Fantastic, just stifling defense. And they saw that last week in that twenty-five to ten loss they had. Um, yeah, this team isn't winning anything. In, the, in this team is not winning anything this year. No need to uh, risk Jahan Dotson's future. He looks like he's going to be an absolute stud there on the outside. So no need to uh, endanger that at all. And with that, only I don't know. Just about 30 minutes into the podcast at this point. Let's get into the reason for the season, shall we? It is week five of college football. College football, week five. All right, and I am a dirty, biased homer, so we are starting out down in Starkville, where Mississippi State continues to be a thorn in Jimbo Fisher's side, beating Texas A&M in Starkville. Vegas loved Mississippi State coming in, and the dogs did not disappoint on Saturday. This one never really got close. Mississippi State led Texas A&M, or held Texas A&M scoreless, rather, excuse me, until about nine minutes left in the third quarter. Max Johnson actually appeared to injure his thumb on his throwing hand, so they turned to back up Haynes King. 
who initially started the season and things just fell apart. Uh, in three possessions, King threw two interceptions and completely, or completed rather, under 50% of his passes. 75-yard touchdown catch from Ra Ra Thomas and a pick six from star corner Emmanuel Forbes late in the fourth made this one a full-blown blowout late. Uh, shout out to the, the special teams as well. They blocked a field goal uh, late in the third. And DeCamarian Richardson, uh, at least that's what I'm going with with his first name, one of the many deep south as hell names on this roster. I mean, absolutely love that. DeCamarian Richardson, that awesome. Anyways, he got a, a touchdown, uh, returned it all the way after that blocked field goal, uh, which really helped out the offense in this one. Texas A&M got a garbage time touchdown to make it look a little bit better on the scoreboard, but this one was ugly for Jimbo and crew. Uh, Mississippi State gets an emphatic 42-24 to win to vault themselves into the rankings and bump the Aggies out. We'll get to their specific positioning later, but they are in that that at least for right now. Who's to say what's going to happen in a week or two? I mean, we got a hell of a stretch coming up in October, but I digress. Mississippi State beat Texas A&M in damn near every major statistical category in this one. I'm talking passing yards, rushing yards, yards per carry, yards per passing attempt, turnovers, all of it. I mean, you name it. Down to the sacks. They gave up more sacks than Mississippi State did. Just utter domination in this one. Mississippi State has now won four of the last five in Starkville in this matchup. Five and two in the last seven meetings overall for Mississippi State and Texas A&M. Just, I mean, just dominance over the, the last couple of years. Mississippi State has just played played that role of just letting everybody know that Texas A&M, while they may have all these shiny players, they are, at their core, frauds. So, I mean, it is, it is what it is. They've got to, I mean... I thought they had a great defense, but apparently their their defense against the run, not the best thing in the world. I mean, you gave up, for an air raid team, you gave up six yards per carry, I believe, around 150 yards on the ground. That's certainly not going to cut it. So, how good this Texas A&M defense actually is, yet to be seen. Devon Chain, absolute star, though. But I'm already getting way too off track here. Let's look at some notable performers in this one. Uh, Mississippi State, first off, starting with the winners here, uh, Will Rogers, quarterback, went 31 of 45 for just over, I mean, if you're doing the quick math at home, just over two-thirds, uh, just below 69% on the exact math, uh, 329 yards, 7.3 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no interceptions, no turnovers at all. Damn near perfect game from Will Rogers. Not anything else that you can ask him to do in this one. As a team, Mississippi State rushed for 144 yards, 6 yards per carry, 1 touchdown. Just talked about that, but worth reiterating because it was a pivotal way that this game was won. Did not win the time of possession overall, I don't think, but those rushing yards were big. Big in keeping the defense honest, if nothing else. Uh, on the outside, Ra Ra Thomas, wide receiver for the Dogs, had 5 receptions, 134 yards, and 1 touchdowns, or one touchdown, rather. No plural when it's just one, Caleb. Learn, learn the English language. But he's having a big season thus far for Mississippi State. Uh, I would expect that only to continue. I'm actually very interested to see what he does against 
Uh, some of the more talented defenses going forward. I mean, he's, he's not going to face anyone immediately. I mean, certainly not going to face anyone that challenges him with Arkansas. That's We can chalk that one up right now. He'll probably have a big game there. But I'm interested to see when he goes up against like, uh, like a Georgia or an Alabama, for instance. I'm not really sure what their defensive backfield looks like at Alabama this year. I know Georgia is strong. I want to see how he performs in those games. Uh, that'll tell me just how good he actually is. But what a stud Rod Thomas is having a hell of a season this year. Also, Emmanuel Forbes was the real star on the defensive side for Mississippi State. Two interceptions, including that game ceiling pick six. He is uh, on a long lineage of, I mean, we, I, we've had a couple great corners. I mean, you remember Darius Slay, for instance, most notably there, but had a, a long run of just rotational corners coming in and out. Uh, got Cam Dantzler on a roster right now, I believe. God, what's, what's, uh, this is going to really, really bother me later. Uh, got burned by an Auburn player at one point, I believe it was, was two, Martin Emerson, that's, that's who it was. He's on an NFL roster right now. I believe he's playing some rotational corner. Um, really, Emmanuel Forbes is the next, next guy in that line. Not sure how great he's going to be at the next level, but he certainly has a future playing corner at the next level. Fantastic performance in all in all facets of the game for Mississippi State in this one. On Texas A&M side, Devon A. Chain was the team, as he usually is. Um, 16 rushes, 111 yards, no touchdowns, also lost a fumble, but also had six receptions, 21 yards. I mean, no touchdowns in this one for A. Chain. Quite literally all you can ask for uh, from the defense when facing him, you physically cannot stop him. He's going to get his yards. He's just too fast, too explosive. He had some big kick returns in this one, too, that put Texas A&M in some really good positions. He just, he's an unstoppable player. But you can keep him out of the end zone. If you can keep him out of the end zone, rather, you have given your team a chance, if nothing else, and that's exactly what the defense did. If he stays in school a second longer than he has to, I will be stunned. He is the best back in the upcoming draft. I'm... I'm not going to say by a mile. I don't want to be too emphatic because I did forget when I was kind of typing up the notes for this. Bijan Robinson is also draft eligible. And again, this kind of just goes blanket statement for all running backs. If you have any semblance of maybe an NFL future out there, you're putting up some good numbers. Scouts are noticing you to a certain extent. Do not spend a second longer in college than you have to because you are, I mean, the college coach, he's got you for four years, then who, who fucking cares after that? He is going to run you into the ground for less money than you would be getting paid at the next level to have less reps on your body. So by all means, if you show any promise and you are draft eligible, go into the draft for, for God's sake, if you're a running back, get more money out of your career. Uh, that's all I really got to say on that. Might be one of, if not the only running back that gets drafted in in the first round in this upcoming spring, though. Uh, again, talking, getting back to Devon A. Chain here. Uh, Bijan Robinson might also be a, a first rounder this year, but those are the only two. And again, different era for running backs. Probably later half of the first round if they do get drafted in the first round. But I mean, Devon A. Chain doing it against the competition he does it against. That's I mean, it it speaks volumes to the level of player that he is. He's going to be a stud at the next level. Probably take a, a, a higher-priced veteran's job, but that's just kind of what has to happen sometimes. Just the circle of life, if nothing else. Uh, another notable performer, Moose Muhammad III. There were 
two other guys before named Moose. That's pretty cool. Uh, six receptions, 119 yards, one touchdown. One of those guys named Moose, his father, actually longtime NFL wide receiver Moosin Mohammed. Uh, did not know that, but the fact that they just call him Moose, I got a grandpa named Moose, so I already fucking love Moose Muhammad. Love that guy. Um, even happier that he didn't win in this one, though. I'll just put it that way. Max Johnson wasn't, I mean, inefficient in this one, if you really look at it. I mean, 19-26, so 73% completion. 203 through the air, just short of 8 yards per attempt, and a touchdown. No interceptions either, so not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Not great, but not bad either. Did have a fumble in this one, and of course, just cracked the shit out of his, his thumb or something like that. He looked like he had, I don't know if he jammed it or what, but... Did not look awesome for Max Johnson. Uh, Haynes King, 13 attempts, two interceptions, below 50% completion. Not much else I have to say about him. He was not good at all in this game. There's a reason he got sat on the bench when he did get sat. Also, you can put a different person in the driver's seat. If the car is a piece of shit, the car is a piece of shit. And that's what you got with the uh, with the Texas A&M offense right now. That's about as poetic as, as I can put it. But, I mean... Let's just crack into it right now, shall we? I mean, takeaway for this one, after all the hype, all the, the high praise, high profile recruiting they've done, all the money they've pumped into that program, Jimbo Fisher is once again staring down the barrel of a possible six or seven win season, again, after all that they've done. Texas A&M's remaining schedule right now, they're at Bama, at South Carolina, got Ole Miss and Florida at home, then they're at Auburn, then at home versus UMass and LSU to close the season. I look at that stretch and at best I see five and two. I mean, maybe maybe they get to nine wins this season if they if everything goes great for them. Um, I think Bama and Ole Miss are games that they're just not going to win, even even though they have Ole Miss at Kyle Field. I mean, anything can happen there any given Saturday. There's a reason that that's a saying. But when when you really look at it, those two I do not see them winning no matter what. Uh, that would put them at familiar territory. I mean, eight and, well, I guess it's five, five plus three, I guess this, I don't know, five, five plus three. So eight and four at this point, that would put them in, in familiar territory right there. Worst case, they could easily lose all of those games outside of UMass, I think. I mean, Bama already talked about it. That's a loss. South Carolina, they're feisty at times. They've, they've been feisty off and on. Um, certainly going to South Carolina, I could definitely see Texas A&M dropping that one. Ole Miss already stated my, my thoughts on that one. Florida, even at home, I think Florida is a, a stronger team. I think they got better offensive weapons, even if the offense isn't necessarily shining. I think it's way, way better than what uh, Texas A&M's putting out there. Um, at Auburn, I mean, Brian Harson's a dead man walking. I feel like Texas A&M has a better team, but you're going to Jordan Hare at the end of the day. That's, that's a losable game right there. Every... Every Saturday, that is a losable game in Jordan-Hare. Uh, UMass going to beat the shit out of them. I mean, don't even really have to talk about that. Maybe not beat the shit, but they will beat UMass. And if they don't, I'm not putting any bets on that because, again, any given Saturday, but that would be disastrous right there. And LSU, I feel like LSU, by that time, maybe if they played them right now, Texas A&M might beat them, but by that time, I feel like they're going to be rounding in the form by that point. I feel like LSU ends up beating them. I, this could be a very, very ugly season for Texas A&M. I think realistically, you're looking at four and three or three and four down the stretch, uh, which would put them at either seven and five or six and six. The problem is 
Jimbo still seems to think that execution is the issue with, with offense when any casual person watching can see that the plays themselves simply aren't working when, it, when it's all said and done. I just, I alluded to it briefly before we got into this takeaway, but hell, you got a, a, a pretty looking car, looks great on the outside. You have one of those one of the one of those kits installed where you pay a like I don't know like twenty thousand dollars or something like that. You can make any car in the world look like a Lamborghini. Underneath that hood, though, it's still a fucked up car. Can't get over like eighty miles an hour without. I mean, just starting to starting to shake a little bit, starting to to get some weird revs on the engine. I mean, it's still a piece of shit car. No matter who you put in the driver's seat whether that be Max Johnson or Haynes King, or I know they got a true freshman that some people are clamoring for back there. No matter who you put in the game right now, no matter who you put in the driver's seat, that car is still a goddamn lemon, and that's exactly what is happening with, with Jimbo Fisher's offense. It's just a lemon. You got to either update it, which I don't know how many people above the age of, uh, well, help. Above the age of 50, hell, I'd go even as far as to say like 45. I don't know how many people above the age of like 55, though, or whatever Jimbo Fisher is, I think he might even be over 60, are willing to change. I think Nick Saban hated losing and loved winning so much that he adopted change, but I don't know that Jimbo Fisher is that type of guy. And that's what it's going to take for uh, Texas A&M to get the most out of what they, they got out there because Jimbo Fisher's system, which he insists on forcing out there, is not going to work. And the worst part is that his buyout is so massive that even if the administration wanted to move in a different direction, they would have to get a group of donors together, not just one or two, a group of donors to chip in just to make it feasible because they just paid the guy an extension. They are stuck with this problem, and I have zero idea how it gets better. For, short for short of Jimbo uh, seeding some control over the offense and scheme, uh, the play calling and all that. I don't see how this situation um, in, in well, I really put myself in the corner there, but at Texas A&M uh, gets solved from here on out. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be one to watch going forward. And I am sure with zero changes made, they're going to get another dazzling recruiting class this year. And you dumbasses in the media, some of you dumbass AP voters are still going to vote them top five going the next season because they, oh, they got all these awesome players and they still got a shit offense. That's, I'm feeling spicy today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm coming out absolutely firing in this one, but uh, for state, things are only getting or beginning to ramp up. We're about to see what this team is made of down the stretch. Four of the final seven games are most likely going to be ranked matchups culminating with the Egg Bowl to close out this year. Uh, I'm just going to chalk the trip to Bama in a few weeks up to a failure. But outside of that, every one of those games is up for grabs as far as I'm concerned. Even Georgia, who looked overpowering to start the year, is coming to Starkville. So Mississippi State has a real shot at vying for 9 or 10 wins this year. If they can get lucky in that Georgia game, which I'm not getting my hopes up at all, I'm assuming we're going to lose by double digits. But hell, if they get lucky in that game, who the hell knows what happens this season? Next three games, home versus Arkansas, then on the road to face Kentucky, then Bama. Those are going to show us a whole lot about these Bulldogs. And absolutely, 
I can't wait to see what's going to happen here. It is going to be a fun stretch coming up in this October, as long as it is not a brutal gauntlet for us. Uh, with that, I have spent entirely too much time on Homer Talk, so let us talk about UCLA beating Washington at home with ease to improve to 5-0 and on the season. Uh, Washington came out and complete, competed early, rather, uh, taking a one-point lead to start the second, but the decisive stretch of the game was a rough second quarter for Michael Penix Jr., quarterback for Washington. Uh, the last three true chances Washington had uh, to put a drive together in the first half uh, ended in three plays and an INT, three and out, and an INT on the first play of that final real drive of the half. So you got two INTs and a three and out, just not going to cut it. Meanwhile, UCLA just kept scoring. They got points out of Four of their final five drives of the half, outscoring Washington 24-3 down the stretch to go into halftime with a commanding 26-10 lead. Uh, credit to Penix, though. He had he was damn near unstoppable in the second half with all three drives going 12-plus plays and resulting in a passing touchdown by that guy, Penix. Unfortunately for Penix and Washington offense, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson and UCLA's offense were damn near unstoppable in their own right. Uh, they were forced to punt on just one drive in the second half. Just one. Washington brought it within eight points uh, with four minutes left on the clock, but they never got the ball back as UCLA just squeezed every last second off the clock from there, got it down to double zeros on that final drive. Took like four-some minutes Four or so minutes off the clock. Impressive way to close out the game from UCLA. Uh, and hey, they improved to 5-0 and with an impressive 40-32 to win over a solid Washington team. And boy, do they have a big one coming up against Utah this week. We'll talk about that in just a second. Some notable performers in this one just talked about them. Dorian Thompson-Robinson. 72.7% completion in this one, 24 of 33, 315 yards, 9.5 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, and most importantly, zero turnovers on the day. He has really turned into a guy that I saw coming in as just kind of a, another UCLA quarterback, ho-hum. He's very talented. He comes in. Who's to say what he does after that? I kind of wrote him off, admittedly, right out of the gate. He has turned into an absolutely great quarterback. I think teams, and he also had that 10 rushes for 53 yards and a touchdown too. I mean, these teams, I I feel like he, he might be, he might have some NFL stuff. I mean, it's hard to say. I've been bad at evaluating these things in the past, but he might have some NFL stuff. Uh, running back Zach Charbonnet behind him had a hell of a day as well. 22 rushes, 124 yards for over five and a half yards per carry, one touchdown, and just to, just to add a little bit of, a little bit of spice to it, Three receptions for 56 yards, 180 total yards from scrimmage for the star running back uh, for UCLA there. Also, wide receiver Jake Bobo, who looks exactly how you would think a guy with the last name of Bobo and the first name of Jake would look like. Big, big guy. Six receptions, 142 yards, two touchdowns in this one. Impressive performance. Impressive performance for really that entire Chip Kelly offense in this one. I love the personnel they got going out there. Well, they're going to get tested here coming up, but we'll talk about that again in just a second. Got to hold myself back because I've already bloviated too much outside of what's on the sheet here. Um, Washington, some notable performers over there. Michael Penix Jr., 
33 of 48, 68.9% completion, 345 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, and those two interceptions in the second quarter. If it wasn't for that second quarter, Penix would have had himself a day of all days. Might have even won this game, but that second quarter absolutely sunk them in this one. Uh, running back Wayne Taluapapa. Ta- Taula, hmm, Taulapapa. Got it. Anyways, uh, 10 rushes, 48 yards, no touchdowns, but also had five receptions for 56 yards. Well-rounded performance from him, getting over 100 yards from scrimmage in this one. Uh, also, wide receiver Rome Odunes. Uh, had eight receptions, 116 yards, and two touchdowns. He was the main go-to guy for Michael Penix in this one. Some takeaways, uh, really just one for this one. UCLA is gradually becoming a real contender in the for the Pac-12 title. Them, Oregon, USC, and Utah, solid top four up there. Going to have to wait and see as we get into the meat of the Pac-12 play here. Which of those teams really separates themselves? Hell, if any of those teams really separate themselves from the pack, great, great top pack there in the back 12. Top pack in the pack 12. Just confused myself there with the double P's. But again, I digress, talking too much here. Uh, the defense scares you sometimes if you're UCLA, if you're a UCLA fan, but they got as good a shot as UCLA or USC or Oregon to win this conference. It's shaping up to be a fun race down the stretch this season on the West Coast. Uh, with that, though, that is all I got to say about UCLA. Tough, tough, uh, lost the lost the words there. Tough game for Washington, though. Had a real brain fart. I think I had a mini stroke there. It happens sometimes. Uh, anyways, moving on from that to the next game on the docket. Actually put this in the quick hits, but I just started following a brain spindle. Next thing I knew, I mean... Really only got a takeaway for this one. That That's pretty much it. But Michigan, number four Michigan, grinding out a 27-14 to 14 win over Iowa on another big day from Blake Corum. That, talking about Corum, he had 133 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, one touchdown. On the season, he's got 611 yards, 6.6 yards per carry, and 10 touchdowns so far. Put him on early Heisman watch. I mean, pretty much it seems like I mean, you think about Hassan Haskins last year, uh, Blake Corum this year. Feels like now with uh, with Jim Harbaugh getting getting in the groove up there, feels like that that running back position is going to be eaten every single year uh, as long as Harbaugh is still in town. Uh, Got to stop off real quick to pitch an idea to the Iowa faithful. However, bad loss here, twenty seven to fourteen. Offense looks bad. Nothing seems to be going right for Iowa. Kirk Ferentz has done. Immense things for this program. He's kept them regularly in the conversation in the Big Ten over the past 20 years at this point. Uh, unquestionably the greatest coach uh, that Iowa's ever had. With that said, however, I think any honest, reasonable fan looks at this program and can clearly see it, it's time for the team to head in a different direction at this point. He's still running a quote-unquote Pro style, which is basically just a late 90s offense, early 2000s sort of offense. And and he put his own son, Brian Ferentz, in charge of the offense to make sure it doesn't change at all. If there's one thing we can learn from guys like Paul Christ, which <laughs> did not go back and edit this, apparently Paul Christ lost his job this week too. So another another uh, job opening in, in Wisconsin there. But at Wisconsin, 
you can win with this type of playing style when it's all said and done. He did it for several years, had a couple down years and then got fired, but did play that way for several years and had a, a bunch of good, not great seasons, which is what you can kind of expect there at that level. Um, you can get that in the Midwest, recording those, those or not recording, recruiting those big boys, big corn-fed boys out of the cornfields there. Um you have to update it a little bit, though. That that's the that's the main thing that Paul Chris showed you. He didn't update it a whole lot, but he updated it enough to not get absolutely embarrassed at most most stretches. It feels like Iowa's been running the exact same plays with the exact same QB for the last twenty years or so. I just feel like they got the same guy who's like forty years old now, who's just been throwing on like different different like like skin masks to, to look like a different player every single year like you you can't tell me that that Spencer Spencer Petrus is different than whoever the hell that they've who 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 they even have back there Ricky Stanzi I I don't know they they've legitimately had the same exact looking quarterback for the past ever since Kirk Ferentz got there pretty much now at this point recruiting has tapered off as well so that program has gone into disrepair and take it from LSU fans, when dealing with Les Miles, very different personalities, yes, but you'll you'll understand where I'm coming from with this. When the guy you brought in to be an offensive guru, let's just say, starts relying on his defense year after year, it's time to make a change. And that's exactly what's happening here in Iowa. I'm not saying you necessarily need to fire the guy, but you've got to get his hands out of the day-to-day operations of the team, I think. Move him up to the administration or something. Uh, maybe transfer him to a role. Transition him to a role in the athletics administration. Uh, hiring new coaches in the in the future. Maybe maybe less than that front. I just had heard that come out of my mouth and thought, you know, maybe that might proliferate the problem. But either way, if you can get him to retire too, I think that would be that would be pretty sweet. Uh, with a sweet benefits package, that would be a, a good scenario for everybody involved. Now you may be asking, Caleb. Who are we going to get to replace the greatest coach in program history, though? I mean, what are we going to do to replace Kirk Ferentz? Well, I'm glad you asked that hypothetical Iowa fan because I have a name that has not gotten nearly enough attention in previous college head coaching hire cycles that I think would be a perfect culture fit for a post-Kirk Ferentz Iowa butt-chin Bill O'Brien himself, Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator currently for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Think about this. Bill O'Brien's greatest flaw as an NFL head coach was he wanted control over just too many parts of the organization. You just can't be head coach, GM, and lead counsel, which if you didn't know, that's the guy that negotiates all the deals. Usually they have a different guy doing the negotiations than uh, actually making the overall personnel decisions. He did all of that. And in the NFL, you can't do that and hope to be consistently successful unless you're Bill Belichick who got lucky by drafting Brady at some point. Now, that may be a fatal flaw in the pro ranks, but when it comes to college football, I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but the greatest coaches in history, in, in the history of the sport rather, micromanage everything. Just look at Saban, who, by the way, is currently O'Brien's boss at Bama right now. Uh, Urban Meyer, Kirby Smart, Ryan Day. Now, all of these guys are described by their peers are as control freaks to the nth degree. That's why they're so goddamn good at this job. That's why they're so goddamn good at recruiting, so goddamn good at 
bringing players in. I need I need to stop dropping the goddamn word. Anyways, uh, now you take Bill O'Brien with a few years of tutelage from Saban under his belt, with all those years of coaching experience to fall back on from the NFL, and you put him in charge of a program with a history with the history and resources of Iowa. He might be able to make them perennial contenders for the Big Ten championship in the Big Ten West every single year. He's hard-nosed. He has all the natural inclinations to make him a great college coach. All he needs is a major program that's a good culture fit to hand the reins to. And let me tell you what, a tough, demanding guy like Bill O'Brien, coming off a tough, demanding guy like Kirk Ferentz, is someone that could step in and re-energize this Iowa football program immediately, bring them in to, to the 2020s, if you will. Um, I am... I, if, if I were making the, the hiring decisions at Iowa, first off, got to gotta figure out the, the Kirk Ferentz problem. But once you figure out the Kirk Ferentz problem, Bill O'Brien, I don't know how long he's going to stay an offensive coordinator before he takes a job somewhere else. But I'm telling you now, that is a star in the making as far as college head coaches go. I don't even know if he knows it, but that's a star in the making as far as college head coaches go. Hire Bill O'Brien. I Hire butt chin Bill. That's all I got to say left in that one. Uh, coming up next, we have got number seven, Kentucky, going down to number 14, Ole Miss. Uh, the theme of the game was missed opportunities and untimely mistakes for Kentucky. It started late in the first quarter when Kentucky's first successful uh, drive stalled on consecutive incompletions from Will Levis. He'd only have four more passes hit the ground in the rest of the game. He had a hell of a performance in this one. Then, Matt Ruffalo missed the 39-yard field goal attempt. 425-minute long drive with absolutely nothing to show for it. Killer for the offense, or killer for the defense even, really. On the ensuing possession, Ole Miss scored a 48-yard run uh, for a touchdown by Quinshawn Judkins to go up 14-0 at the end of the quarter. Credit to Kentucky, they continue to fight. Uh, they scored two more touchdowns and picked off uh, Jackson Dart to keep Ole Miss from putting up more points before half. But even then, it wasn't exactly a pretty stretch. On one possession, they were pinned deep, and Will Levis got sacked for a safety. Then on the ensuing possession, Ole Miss kicked a field goal to widen it to uh, the largest margin of the game, actually, 19-6. to and, and on the two touchdowns, they didn't get a point after because Ruffalo had one PAT blocked and Kentucky had a failed two-point conversion attempt as well. So it went into halftime, Ole Miss leading 19-12. Second half just got sloppy from there. I mean, Kentucky scored a late touchdown in the third to tie the game 19-19, I believe. In the second half is when Will, Will Levis's, uh finger also took a, a hard right turn at some point. He had one of those injuries, just popped that bitch let back into place. He's probably good. Uh, then Ole Miss answered with a field goal to retake the lead 22-19 before the third quarter ended. And that that's where the scoring ceased for the day. That, that was it. Kentucky was inside the Ole Miss territory on the final three drives of the game. And they went four and out on the first opportunity. Will Levis fumbled in the end zone in the next one. And to cap it all off, Levis fumbled yet again, this time on first and goal with 51 seconds left in the game. Just a... A comedy of errors in the fourth quarter for Kentucky. You've just got to be better in the high leverage situations of the game. Ole Miss wasn't great. They just didn't shoot themselves in the foot. That's that's basically all they did, and they just ended up winning this one. Ole Miss gave Kentucky essentially every opportunity to go out and win. I can't even say they didn't shoot themselves in the foot because they kind of did. Uh, but a few critical mistakes by Will Levis really buried Kentucky's chances 
of winning this one in the end. Ole Miss escapes with a win, 22-19, to vault themselves into the top 10. Again, we'll talk about the rankings in just a minute here. But some notable performers in this one, Ole Miss, first and foremost, start, talk about the winners first. QB, Jackson Dart, just above 50%, 15-29 through the air, 213 yards, 7.3 yards per attempt. Had no touchdowns, one interception, so not great. Also had eight rushes, 40 yards, so five yards per, per carry. Not not bad. Bit of a mixed bag for uh, Jackson Dart. Just didn't totally kill the team, I suppose. Running back Quinshawn Judkins. Talked about him having that 48-yard scamper to the end zone. On the day, he went 15 rushes, 106 yards, just over five yards per carry there. Um, brain fart, I suppose. Um... One touchdown, also one reception for 14 yards on the day. Solid day for Quinshawn Judkins. The team is kind of built around that backfield, if you know how Ole Miss has been playing this year. Also, that that turncoat, Malik Heath, six receptions, 100 yards, zero touchdowns. Couldn't quite crack the uh, the lineup in Starkville, so just had to go uh, across the state and uh, play, play for another team, I suppose. I'm not going to hold it against him, but uh, he is a turncoat. He is a turncoat. Either way, on Kentucky's side, only two real uh, notable performers. Not a great day on offense or really on, on defense either. Uh, Will Levis, 18-24, so 75% of his passes completed. 220 yards, 9.2 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns and no interceptions. So through the air, solid, solid day for uh, the Kentucky. Probable first-round top-10 pick quarterback this year. But lost two critical fumbles and had one fucked-up finger that kind of destroyed his day uh, on Saturday. Also, running back Chris Rodriguez coming back from an injury. Can't remember exactly what the injury was, but had a good debut, all things considered. Uh, 72 rushing yards, only 3.8 yards per carry, but had a touchdown and also threw in uh, three receptions for 40 yards as well. So his, his yards per touch average, very high, even if his yards per carry, not so much. Um, big takeaway from this one, Will Levis. I mean, he's a guy that you just look at and say, holy hell, he's got, he's physically imposing, can throw a hell of a deep ball. I mean, we saw it over and over in this one. There's a reason he had over nine yards per attempt. I'll tell you that much, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and you get tough yards in the run game if you need him to. He can run the ball if you need him to. He's just, he's jacked. He can run, throw a great deep ball. But with that said, it's going to take the right situation for him to really succeed at the next level, I think. Feels a lot like Josh Allen in college in some respects to me. Uh, all the tools are there. I mean, your questions are whether he's got the intellect and resilience to succeed and whether he can dial in his mechanics at the next level. All of that is to say, a franchise like, say, the Bears, Texans, Commies even, any place that is a perpetual shit show that you can think of off the top of your head in the NFL is going to absolutely ruin Will Levis's career. You can mark my words on that right now. If he goes to one of those shit show teams, he's not... Nope, no shade to him. There are very few players that fit this description, but he is not a guy that can rise above his circumstances at the next level like that. He needs some tutelage, some guidance. He needs to improve if he wants to get the most out of his abilities. That's really all you got to say about that. Um, if they take him in the draft, they're going to ruin his career. That, that's all you got to say. If Josh Allen would have been drafted by the Jags instead of the Bills... He probably just ends up being a really exciting backup, if not out of the league entirely. So this I'm not saying this to slight Will Levis. I'm saying this as a word of caution. 
to any of these teams that are just thinking you're going to draft Will Levis and everything's going to be snap your fingers magically, everything is better. That's not what's going to happen. He needs some he needs some work if he's going to become a star at the next level. Um, so I'm not hating on Will Levis with any of this, but there are some players that come in damn near a finished product who can rise above their circumstances. And most other players, let's say 95 to 99% of the other players, uh, who need to work on some crucial things. And that's just what you got here with Will Levis. The coaching situation matters so much more than God-given talent in most situations. And that's absolutely the case here with Will Levis. That said, though, if he goes to a place like the Seahawks, for instance, with a young, young up-and-coming offensive line and weapons on the outside, this kid might be a star early. Like, if he goes to a place where he can get some good coaching... Like, I don't know if the, I don't think that the Dolphins are going to be up high enough. But if for some reason they just they don't want to move forward with Tua and they want to they want to take a swing on somebody in the draft, I don't know. Maybe I'm already putting too much trust in in Mike McDaniel, but I would draft Will Levis if I were them. I mean, maybe maybe Jets if if I mean hell, you're going to be up there in position to take him if 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 uh, Zach Wilson has a bad season this year, so. Maybe that's the play as well. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that one. He might be a star, though, if he gets in the right situation. Might really bust out if he goes to the wrong situation. High-variance guy, which really you can say for pretty much every quarterback in just about every draft when it's all said and done. Um, with that said, let's move on to the next game, shall we? Number nine, Oklahoma State. Uh, big game at, Bla- at Baylor. Comes in and wins to take an inside track to win the Big 12. This game wasn't really as close as the score might, might indicate. Oklahoma State's defense dominated in the first half in a, a touchdown drive that essentially took the game to halftime, capped by Dominic Richardson, put them up 16-3 over Baylor at the intermission. After the opening drive where they drove down and kicked a field goal, Baylor struggled to move the ball in the first half. They managed to get down inside the OK State 10 before turning it over on downs in one possession, but otherwise were stymied in all the other drives that they, they attempted. Jaden Nixon, coming out of that halftime, took the opening kickoff of the second half all the way to the house for a touchdown to give OK State a commanding 23-3 lead, and that pretty much made the lead unassailable for the Cowboys at that point. Blake Shapin and Monterey Baldwin had a valiant attempt to stage a comeback in a torrid third quarter, reeling off three touchdowns and four drives to bring Baylor back but within 10 points. But Shapin fell apart down the stretch, throwing two, throwing interceptions on consecutive possessions to effectively kill their chances of winning this one. Wasn't exactly pretty, but OK State comes out with a convincing win over Baylor, 36-25. to Notable performers in this one. Um... OK State had a quarterback. Isn't that fun to think about? They got a quarterback. Uh, not a great quarterback, but he does get the ball down the field. Spencer Sanders, 20 of 29, 181 yards, 6.2 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one interception through the air. Also rushed for a touchdown, 5.4 yards per carry, 75 yards. So he had that one interception, but that's really all you can ask. That's the performance that you can ask for from Spencer Sanders. That's pretty much the bottom line. That's it. I mean, he he's not a guy that you're thinking, oh man, he might have some NFL stock in him. No, we, we know what Spencer Sanders is at this point, And this is kind of, you know, on a good day, what you can expect from the guy. Uh, behind him though, running back Dominic Richardson, 
Not a bad day overall. Workman like 73 rushing yards on three. 3.0 yards per carry, RIP to that young man's knees, uh, one touchdown, four receptions, 18 yards, so I mean, not a bad day overall, finished just short of that 100-yard Mendoza line from scrimmage, but not bad overall. Wide receiver Brennan Presley had eight receptions for 86 yards and a touchdown for OK State as well. Talked about Jaden Nixon contributing a score on special teams, returning a kickoff 98 yards for a touchdown to start the second half as well too. Like I said, kind of a ho-hum sort of day for OK State on offense. They just kind of got some key turnovers on defense, scored where they needed to, and just slowly pulled away in, in this one. As far as Baylor is concerned, they had a, a, a few more pretty statistical performances. QB Blake Shapin completed 70% of his passes, uh, 28 of 40, 345 yards, 8.6 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, but like I said, had those two critical interceptions late. And ladies and gentlemen, allow me to explain this stat line to you as someone who has watched ample examples of this through the years. This is a Kirk Cousins stat line, ladies and gentlemen, right here. Shapin really didn't start making big plays until Baylor was down by 20. Then, once he got them back within striking distance, he completely fell, ap fell apart throwing two touchdowns or th two interceptions on two straight possessions. That, my friends, is how you get a big stat line like this without really propelling your team to victory, i.e. a Kirk Cousins stat line. Now, and if you hear me re referring to Kirk Cousins stat lines, that's what I'm referring to right there. Big numbers, no real impact on the game. Uh, outside of him, though, at running back, Richard Reese had himself a good day. 85 rushing yards on 5 yards per carry, ran for a touchdown. Also, 4 receptions out of the back backfield for 21 yards to just pop him right over that 100-yard uh, from scrimmage Mendoza line there. Um, wide receiver Monterey Baldwin led the way on the outside, I would say, by far. Had over half of Shapin's uh, performance, or... Yardage output, rather, as normal people say. Uh, seven receptions, 174 yards, and two touchdowns. Absolutely elite performer out there. No one on OK State had any answer for him pretty much all day. Um, well, except for that first half, obviously, but I digress. Uh, takeaways in this one. OK State certainly took the inside track to win the Big 12 in this game, but Baylor certainly isn't out of it either. And damn near no one in that conference is out of it because... The Big 12 is absolutely loaded out of nowhere this year. Hell, Kansas is leading the conference standings right now. They're 5-0 for the first time since Obama was just getting started as a president. Just getting right into that second year of his first first term as president. I mean, it is it is crazy how good the Big 12 this is, is this year. West Virginia and Iowa State are probably the two weakest teams in the conference. And they've still got feisty squads. Teams that can win against basically anyone else in the conference. The Big 12 in 2022 is a lot like the ACC was last year in 2021. Every single conference game is must-watch television from here on out, it feels like. Buckle up, because it's about to get chaotic from here on out. And if there's one thing you know your boy loves about the college game, it is chaos. But I digress. We're already an hour 12 into this and uh, I'm on my bullshit with the long episodes again, ladies and gentlemen. I, I apologize, but not really. Anyways, moving on to the next game. We have got number one Georgia looking very fallible, barely escaping Missouri, 26-22. What if I told you there is a universe where Missouri was leading Georgia by 10 to start the fourth quarter? What if I told you that universe was the one we are in right this second 
Missouri almost had the shocker of the season as they were up 22-12 to start the fourth. UGA's offense wasn't really slowed down so much as they just stalled when they got into scoring position in a sloppy first half. UGA even lost two fumbles, which only amounted to three points for Missouri on the other side, but it left points on the table for Georgia's offense. Eventually, Georgia tightened it up down the stretch, scored a couple touchdowns to eke out a win, but if you're a, a Georgia fan, you have got to be real, real worried about what this squad showed. Final score, 26-22. to Georgia gets out of there with a win. Um, notable performers in this one. Stetson Bennett, I mean, 55.8% completion, so that's not going to cut it. But 312, 7.3 yards per attempt. One lost fumble, but no interception. Didn't throw a touchdown either. I mean, this is a this is a classic like Stetson Bennett sort of line where it's like, did he kill the team? Not really, but did he put the team over the top? Certainly not. Certainly not on that front. Uh, Got to be a little bit worried about that. Even though he's about at the at the peak of his talents here uh, as a college quarterback, he's about as good as you can ask for uh, from from Georgia at this point. Um, in the backfield between Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, and uh, whew, Edwards, I can't remember who what the guy's first name is, but. Three-headed monster back there in the backfield. Those guys combined for 177 yards, 6.1 yards per carry, and two touchdowns on the ground. Not so much slow down on the ground there, if nothing else. Just not getting what you want in the passing game, not finishing off drives. And tight end Brock Bowers, who is the one guy on that on that Georgia offense that really scares the defense. Five receptions, 66 yards. He is going to be, I mean, I think he might be a perennial pro bowler at the next level. He does, like, so much... I mean, athletic, athletic stuff for the tight end position. If you ever get a chance to, to watch some Brock Bowers highlights, it will startle you the level of versatility this guy has. I mean, he has had long runs for touchdowns. He's caught touchdowns. I think he's thrown touchdowns at certain points. Or If I just pulled that out of my ass, I mean, it seems like he might, might be a guy that would. Either way, five receptions, 66 yards in this one, solid performance. Didn't, didn't hurt the team. Didn't get a touchdown either. But, you know, how much of that is on Stetson Bennett, I digress. Uh, on Missouri's side, I mean, no real stars, I would say. Brady Cook didn't get a turnover in the game. Uh, 20 of 32, 192 yards, 6.0 yards per attempt. N- one touchdown, so not the worst play in the world, but not great. Not really that good either. Um, running back Cody Schrader had six rushes for 89 yards, which is an unreal <laughs> yards per carry average. I didn't calculate it out because... I don't know, just just lazy, I suppose, but that's, that is wild right there. Uh, wide receiver Dominic Lovett led the way for uh, for the Tigers in this one. Six receptions, 84 yards on the outside. Not going to spend a whole lot of time there because at, at the end of the day, they played Georgia close, but this is Missouri we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, come on. Uh, takeaways for this one. I started the season watching Georgia come out and absolutely mushroom stamp Oregon and thought that this this team was invincible. But recently I find myself asking time and again, what is what is this Georgia team right now? They're supremely talented. Uh, and they get the lead. If they can get the lead, rather, they can absolutely bury you down the stretch with the run game they have. But who is the guy that scares the life out of you 
for the Georgia defense. Outside of the Georgia defense, who is the guy that scares the life out of you on that offense? Phrase that about as awkwardly as I possibly could have. Uh, it's not Stetson Bennett. It's not any of the guys in the backfield. No one on the outside is consistently beating one-on-one coverage. Brock Bowers is the is the one guy you could say is probably going to be an absolute stud at the next level, but he's not stretching the field vertically. Even even the other big old tight end Washington, he's not stretching the field vertically. He's a red zone weapon, but he's not he's not getting fifty yard plays down the field. That's for sure. Uh, the truth is. For how scary this defense always is for Kirby Smart, the offense just does not have the horses right now to compete uh, in this SEC, especially a resurgent SEC SEC East. Um, hell, I mean, they don't have the horses like they had with that championship team last year. I mean, now, does that ultimately mean uh, they won't still go undefeated and make the playoffs? No, but they're going to have a much tougher road to get there this year than what they had last year. They're going to have three a three-game stretch in November where they host Tennessee, who may be the biggest threat of them all. Then they go on the road back-to-back weeks to play Mississippi State and Kentucky. Both very losable games for Georgia with the way they're playing right now. I find it hard to see Georgia making it through that three-game stretch without dropping at least one of those games. And if they lose the matchup with Tennessee, watch out for the Vols as the, the season comes down to the wire They've got a fantastic quarterback, a great play caller, a serviceable defense, terrible pass defense, but a serviceable defense overall. Tennessee could make a playoff push if things fall in their favor going forward. If they beat Georgia, I mean, they got the inside track in the East. That That's no, no need to even say it at that point. But, man, that is something to watch down the stretch. How good will this Georgia team end up being when they play the big boys? We are going to find out down the stretch this season. With that said, though, let us move on to, I believe, the last major highlight game that I had going this week. Uh, DJ Uyunglele, or Uyunglele, got to start getting his name right because he's actually playing well. Look sharp once again as number 5 Clemson beats number 10 NC State at home for a good signature win. Uh, this one was a bit more of a defensive struggle than the score might indicate they went into halftime with a Clemson with Clemson leading 13 to 10 following a flurry of action to end the first half but the score was 6 to 3 with just just under 6 minutes left in the half things open up in the second half but with that came a few critical turnovers for Devin Leary uh, one being an interception late in the third other being a fumbled snap in the middle of the fourth crucially both were in Clemson territory meanwhile Dewey, DJ Uyunglele and Will Shipley led Clemson's offense to a clean performance, committing zero turnovers, scoring 10 points off of the pair of, of Devin Leary turnovers, the last of which coming on a 58-yard, 435-long drive, capped by a DJ Uyunglele touchdown run to put Clemson up 30-13, to 304 left in the game, and that's what we call put a fork in it. She is done, ladies and gentlemen. That, that was it. Those 10 points ended up being the difference uh, off of those turnovers as Clemson wins comfortably over NC State 30-20. to 20. Notable performers in this one, DJ Uyunglele has started playing very, very well. We'll get more in-depth with him in a second, but his stats in this one were very good. 21-30, 70%, 209 through the air. 7.0 yards per attempt, one touchdown, zero turnovers, 
On the ground, though, 14 rushes, 73 yards for 5.2 yards per carry, and two big touchdowns on the ground. And he is a physical force if he is running the ball like that that, and throwing the ball like he's been throwing it. I mean, you are cooking with gas right now, ladies and gentlemen, over there in Clemson. Behind him, though, running back Will Shipley, not a bad day overall, 60 rushing yards, 4.3 yards per carry. Did not get a touchdown, but... That was a versatile presence in there. Also had three receptions, 37 yards out of that backfield. Uh, no real great performers out of the uh, receiving core. Jake Browningstool, the the tight end, which I, if you got a chance, go look at this guy's go look at this guy's picture on uh, ESPN. He looks like I, he looks like he just just stuck a fork in the in an electrical socket right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, either that or he is he is smoking meth. Before practice is what it looks like, but he's got some some wild hair, got some real Rick from Rick and Morty type of hair going on there. Uh, but I digress. Jake Brining School, Jake Brining Stool, easy for me to say. Four receptions, 54 yards, and a tutty on the day. Uh, on the NC State side, Devin Leary, bad performance, 28 of 47, 245 yards, 5.2 yards per attempt, two total touchdowns, one pass and one rush. Uh, also had. Uh, the fumbled snap and the interception, though, so just a bad day overall. Didn't get a whole lot of help behind him, though. He had 34. The team as a whole had 34 rushing yards, 1.6. I, I repeat, 1.6 yards per carry, only one touchdown. That is just simply not going to cut it when you're playing a team like Clemson over there. Uh, out on the outside, wide receiver Thayer Thomas kind of led the way for him. Nine receptions, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, telling that it was a below 10-yard uh, per catch average there. Really credit to the, the Clemson defense for holding strong there on the other side. Takeaways for me. Um, you know what? I've seen enough so far this year to give credit where it's due. DJ Uyunglele has improved tremendously as a passer from where he was at the end of last season. You may not have been, he may not have been slinging the ball down the field in this one, but he continues to show a level of efficiency that we simply did not see from him last year at all. Uh, he's already racking up, he's already racked up rather, more passing touchdowns than he did all of last season. He's not turning the ball over, and he's still very good with his legs when you need him to be. It feels like he's even elevating his play as the competition gets stiffer. Over the past two weeks, in a win at Wake Forest, thrilling one you might remember. And in this game versus NC State, DJ Uyunglele is averaging 66.6% completion, 290 passing yards, 8.2 yards per passing attempt, and 63 rushing yards on 4.5 yards per carry per game. That is a hell of a stat line there, ladies and gentlemen. Meanwhile, he accounted for eight total touchdowns, six passing, two rushing, to the tune of zero, I repeat, zero turnovers. DJ Uyunglele is starting to live up to that hype that he came in with, coming off the heels of Trevor Lawrence, and he has got a favorable slate of games left in the schedule to really wrap up some impressive, or rack up some impressive numbers down the stretch, rather. I mean, don't be shocked if Clemson enters the playoff selection day as an undefeated ACC champion. They, this, they've already gone through the toughest stretch you're going to have all year, I mean, you look you look down the stretch, they got Syracuse, they got Florida State, which might be losses there, but they should be favored by a wide margin in just about every game going forward. DJ Uyunglele could have a very, very pretty stat line by the time it's all said and done. On NC State side, however, 
I got to ask this question, not because I hate the kid, but because I have to be objective as an analyst here. Are we sure Devin Leary is good? I made this point last week, but he has not been good this season, and he has already faced the easiest defenses he's going to see all year. I have zero explanation for why this is happening. But after a fantastic season last year, he has regressed so far that I've seen in this season. NC State's defense still seems strong, but I am worried and perplexed about what I've seen from Devin Leary this year on the other side. If he's got another eligibility, I would encourage him to use it. And from what I've seen regression-wise, maybe consider a transfer. I mean, just just thought transfer portal is a hot place nowadays. So just, just think about it here, Devin. Just uh, maybe don't go to the NFL with uh, this year right uh, coming off of it. Anyways, got some quick hits for you before we head into the uh, the gambling picks and preview for next week. Not necessarily in that order. Have the preview for next week first, but going to run through this quick because we're already damn near an hour and a half into this thing. Uh, number three, Ohio State beat down Rutgers 49-10 on a five-touchdown day from Mayan Williams. Modest overall performance from QB C.J. Stroud as Williams was so hot they didn't even really need to use Stroud in this one. At one point in the game, he was 6 of 9 for 69 yards though, so nice. Had had a hell of a game in my book no matter what you say. Uh, Mayan Williams though, just check out this stat line right here. 21 rushes, 189 yards on the ground, 9 yards per carry, 5 touchdowns on the day. That is utter dominance on the ground. And by the way, they still got Travion Henderson behind him. They just an embarrassment of riches in that backfield for Ohio State. Best backfield in the entire country, bar none. No one even comes close to what they have back there. Also had a head-to-head screaming match between the head coaches as the uh, Italian rapscallion Greg Schiano got in the face of Ryan Hair Dye Day. Uh, nothing really happened, but a head-to-head coaching brawl would have been fantastic, and Ryan Day would have had his body snapped in half by Greg Schiano because that man has some serious anger issues, and I feel like he's one of those guys that you don't want him to get into a fight because he's going to get into the fight and see red and just kind of lose control might kill a dude that's 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 what would have happened to ryan day if he would have gotten into that fight so good for him for not doing that recognizing that you might win on the football field but in a head-to-head just simply not happening uh next one up we got number 18 oklahoma uh got a lot of work uh to do as they get routed by tcu 55 to 24 uh tcu quarterback max duggan was in a quarterback competition to start the year, but boy, I think he has captured that job at this point. Uh, 23 of 33, 69.7%. We'll just bump that up to 70. I won't tell nobody. Uh, 302 yards through the air, 9.2 yards per attempt, three passing touchdowns, z- 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 zero turnovers in this one. I hate myself for even doing that. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but on the ground, five rushes, 116 yards, 23.2 yards per carry. What a stat line there. Two touchdowns on the ground, five total touchdowns on the day. What a what a performance for Max, Max Duggan. And wow, what a what a what a collapse from that Oklahoma defense. A lot to work on for Brent Venables. A lot on his plate right now to rebuild that defense. Uh, nothing but work to do. But it's only the first year. Check back in with him two years down the line when he's got a, a bit more of his recruits in there. Uh, up next, 21 Minnesota flubs their top 25 debut, losing at home to Purdue 20 to 10. Purdue running back uh, Devin Mac- Maccabee. 
really only notable performer in this one, or most notable performer in this one, 11 rushes, 100, or 112 yards rather, rushing 10.2 yards per carry, one touchdown. Uh, not, a, not a great way to announce your presence in the top 25 for Minnesota. Uh, up next, we got at number two, Alabama, taking care of business on the road, decisively beating Arkansas 49-26. Um, actually, Arkansas brought it, I believe it was like, 23 to 28 at one point and then Alabama came out in the fourth quarter and just looked at the scoreboard and was like oh damn it's close again oh we got to change that and they just pff, ran over them all over again uh reigning Heisman winner Bryce Young did not return after halftime with an injury Alabama is you know notoriously cagey with these sorts of things um they were notori- notoriously cagey again that's going to be something to watch going forward especially going up against a uh, a solid Texas A&M secondary this week. Uh, running back Jameer Gibbs, though, kind of led the way for Alabama. 18 rushes, 206 yards, 11.4 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Also, for good measure, threw in two receptions for 20 yards out of the backfield. What a what a pickup for the, from Georgia Tech uh, for Jameer Gibbs. Absolute stud out there in this one. Um Alabama's team rushing on the whole 317 yards, 7.5 yards per carry, and five touchdowns. Three. The, Jameer Gibbs didn't even get half the rushing touchdowns. That's how dominant Alabama was on the ground in this one. Yeah, not even close. 49 to 26, the final in that one. Um, up next, number 22, Wake Forest. Uh, dampens the optimism for a resurgent number 23 Florida State team. Uh, final score 31 to 21. Uh, Wake running back Justice Ellison was the biggest star in this one. 18 rushes for 114 yards, 6.3 yards per carry, one touchdown. Also, a reception for 10 yards. Not really even sure why I threw that in there, but great day for Justice Ellison overall. Real star of the show over there. Uh, Georgia Tech bumps number 24 Pitt out of the rankings with a 26-21 win following Jeff Collins firing. Uh, for Georgia Tech, I mean, playing with your backs up against the wall for uh, a guy that just got fired. You want to play well for the interim guy. Kind of same phenomenon at all levels of, uh, of coaching in that one. Uh, big uh, big stars were the running backs for Georgia Tech in this one. Running back Hassan Hall, Hall led the way with... Uh, 20 rushes, 157 yards, no touchdowns, but that 7.9 yard per carry average was just fantastic. All goddamn day for him. Also had Jeff Sims rush 19 times for 81 yards, did get a touchdown. Not quite the the yardage output, but someone's got to get a touchdown somewhere. Uh, Those guys combined together had well over 200 yards, so that's really where the game was won for Georgia Tech in this one. Disappointing one for uh, Keaton, Slovis, and Pitt out there. Uh, Kansas survives a rock fight, beating Iowa State uh, 14-11 after a botched last-second field goal. Uh, The Iowa State kicker had a 37-yard field goal to send it to overtime. Almost missed the field entirely. Not a great attempt on that one. Never even looked close. Uh, Kansas is 5-0, baby. First time since, I believe, 2009. When they get the... When they get to seven, if they can get to eight and zero, that will be their best start ever. Which at that point, who the fuck? What, what, what do I even do with my hands? What, what what's even going on at that point? But excited to see it for Kansas. Uh, two, oh, not not just in Kansas. One one on Kansas, one on Iowa State. Two relatively good performance, very good performers in this one. Uh, for Kansas, it was running back Devin Neal who had twelve rushes, uh, seventy five yards, six point three yards per carry overall. Um, 
on Iowa State side, wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson had 13 receptions, 101 yards, no touchdowns. But on the season, Xavier Hutchinson's having himself a hell of a year. 49 receptions, 504 yards, and five touchdowns thus far. And I believe this is the fifth game this season. And with not great quarterback play either. Hunter Deckers is okay, but not not what you would want from a wide, if you're a wide receiver looking for a quarterback. That's not necessarily who you're looking at. Um, last one. Before we get into the uh, the new AP poll here, UNC beats down Virginia Tech 41 to 10, and I don't even have a player to highlight in this one. I don't even really care about this game here at all. I mean, it was a blowout from start to finish. The over under for this game was 51 and a half, and it was 41 to 10 entering the fourth quarter. Yeah, existence is truly suffering, ladies and gentlemen. I I bet this over, and I thought entering the fourth that we had this in the bag. Ah, cool. Man, that was that was a rough one right there, ladies and gentlemen. Going to have to look myself in the mirror after that one, kind of uh, reevaluate the strategy. I will tell you right now, though, if we're looking for, for college football bets this week, just going to hit this one on the way out the door here, but that Oklahoma-Texas game, take the over, ladies and gentlemen. That one, Oklahoma's defense can't do a damn thing. Well, keep an eye on Dylan Gabriel first and foremost. If he plays, take the over. If not, maybe stay away from that one. That's just my two cents in the whole thing. With that, though, let's get into the new AP poll that came out this week as a result of all of these games that happened here. We have got a new number one, ladies and gentlemen. We have got number one, Alabama, taking Georgia's number one spot after that 49-26 win over Arkansas that we just talked about. Georgia bumping down to number two down one spot from last week with that, I mean, they won against Missouri, so you got to keep them there at two, but not looking Quite uh, quite as dominant as they look coming out the gate there. Ohio State stays put at number three. Uh, Michigan stays put at four. Same with uh, Clemson. Uh, USC. Um, OK State is the, the next one that actually changed. They're up two spots after that win over Baylor. Uh, up to number seven there. Tennessee. Steady at number eight. They had a bye this week. Not really any 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 reason to move them there. Ole Miss up five spots. They were the biggest jump into the top ten this week. Uh, after that 22-19 win they had over Kentucky, they are number nine now getting into this uh, the, the meat of their schedule this season, I guess you could say. Uh, Penn State bumping just inside the top ten as well with a 17-7 win over Northwestern. Uh, they are now number ten in the standings, a few more uh, highlights from the lower levels of the standings. Uh, Kentucky dropped 13, dropped to 13, not 13 spots. That would have been uh, incredible. But they dropped down to 13 from 7 where they were last week after their loss to Ole Miss. Uh, Wake Forest jumped 7 spots up to 15 following their road win over Florida State this week. They got Sam Hartman over there. They got they had a hell of an offense. It yet to be seen how the defense performed, but they got a solid Solid squad over there with Wake Forest right now. Um, the biggest uh, riser this week, that is, was 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 Wake Forest jumping that seven spots. Uh, number seventeen. I mean, if you don't if you don't count the guys that that weren't ranked last week, but I digress. Uh, seventeen TCU, eighteen UCLA, nineteen Kansas, number twenty two Syracuse, number twenty three Mississippi State. Uh, 24 Cincinnati and 25 LSU 
all entered the top 25 after being unranked for a stretch there. Um, I think Cincinnati might have been ranked in the, the beginning of the season. Um, but again, I, I digress on that front. All of them except for uh, Cincinnati had not been ranked thus far this season. They have found their way into the rankings right now. Also, by the way, shout out Garrett Schrader over there, quarterback for uh, number 22 Syracuse. He, you may last remember him with Mississippi State. His most uh, notable play was getting absolutely helicoptered on fourth down by uh, Kansas State to lose that game. But exciting play overall. Love Garrett Schrader. Glad to see. I mean, he's not only stayed at quarterback, he's playing very, very good quarterback uh, over there at Syracuse. Glad to see him uh, landed on his feet after getting into the transfer portal. That's what you want to see out of the transfer portal because that dude had no chance of playing again at Mississippi State once Will Rogers came in. Uh, you just you love to see him at a place where he where he's wanted. That that's the main thing. And I'm not gonna just breeze past the fact that yes, Kansas is now ranked for the first time, and I have no idea how long Kansas is ranked. Also, let's fucking go. Mississippi State is back in the rankings, baby. Uh, that's that's it for the top 25 though. 23 Mississippi State. Only going to go up from here, I think, so let, let's hope. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, I didn't just jinx that. Uh, if I have that power, though, i gotta, I got to be doing different things than uh, sitting in my parents' uh, storage closet upstairs recording a podcast. Anyways, some Week 6 matchup previews. I'll just run through here real quick. Number 8, Tennessee, is going to LSU to play LSU in Death Valley. It would be very easy for Tennessee to look ahead to next week's matchup with Alabama in Neyland. But that would be a mistake when you're going into Death Valley. Tennessee should win this, but don't be surprised if LSU comes out and plays competitively. I heard earlier today at the last three games, I believe, in this matchup, played in Death Valley have been decided on the final play of the game, not just in the fourth quarter, in the final play of the game. This is firmly on upset watch for me. Real kind of, I mean, it's a trap game feel, even though it's a ranked matchup, but watch out, Tennessee. If they can, if LSU can take advantage of Tennessee's lack of a pass defense, this, this could uh, this could end up being very interesting down the stretch here. In this one, next up, we have got Arkansas traveling to number twenty-three Mississippi State. Uh, boys got to take care of business here because this is the easiest game they'll play all month. Uh, from here, they go on. They go to Kentucky, then to Alabama. Not to mention, they've still got to go. They still got a date at home versus Georgia on the horizon. Um, KJ Jefferson, crucially, not really, I mean, it, his status is unknown at this point, but it's looking like he's probably not going to play in this one. If not, Mississippi State should win this one handily. If he does, Mississippi State should still end up winning this one. I'm expecting a uh, good performance from the boys this week, but that's generally when I'm most disappointed, but I digress. Uh, number 17, TCU, traveling to Lawrence to play Kansas, and no need for a riot, ladies and gentlemen. College day, game day is coming to Lawrence, Kansas for the first time. What a year of college football this has been, man. Don't even care what the over is on this one. I'm blindly betting the over because this is going to be a classic Big 12 matchup. Two high-powered offenses led by two very good QBs in Max Duggan and Jalen Daniels. Leave the defenses at home, kids. This should be a barn burner with game day in attendance. Cannot wait 
to watch that game unfold on Saturday as I just shove muffins into my face. Uh, up next, we got number 11, Utah traveling to number 18, UCLA. After beating Washington in stunning fashion, UCLA has a real opportunity to prove their legitimacy yet again, hosting a very good Utah team. Starts a crucial two-game stretch for UCLA with a trip to Oregon looming two weeks further down the line. And hell, it kicks off an equally cru crucial two-game stretch for Utah as they host USC in Provo next week uh, in what should be a fantastic Pac-12 matchup. Hell, if they win this one, that's a top-10 matchup right there. That, that's what that is right there, ladies and gentlemen. Pac-12, hell, hell of a grouping there at the top of the conference. Um, this is a big-time measuring stick game for both teams. I'll be interested to see... Just how each of them performs in this matchup. Jeff Kelly's team looking to go 6-0 uh, again this season. Maybe maybe make a Pac-12 push. Maybe a playoff push when it's all said and done. Uh, but that starts, uh, not starts, but continues with Utah this week. Big, big game in the Pac-12. Another sneaky uh, good game in the Pac-12. Washington State traveling to number 6 USC. You look on paper, see an unranked Washington State team coming to L.A. to play USC, but do not be fooled by the ranking disparity. This is a solid Pac-12 matchup, and if there's one thing we learned from Oregon State, it's it's that is this USC team is fallible. Uh, now, you've got a Washington State team coming in with a solid QB who just played Oregon very close, just barely lost to him 44-41, uh, threw a late pick six to really put it more out of reach, really could have had a chance to win that one if not for that pick six. Um, I think this is going to be a, a good game over there in L.A. Simply must watch television over in the Pac-12, which has, you know, it, it warms my heart to see them being a little bit more competitive out there. Uh, next game up on the list, number 20, K-State, going to uh, Ames to play Iowa State. Uh, battle the state schools in this one. Iowa State may not have the strongest team in the program's history, but going into Ames is never an easy, straightforward proposition. They get loud, they get rowdy, they get drunk as hell, and they get abusive out there, I would imagine. It is a fun, fun college atmosphere over there in Ames, and it is it has been a death trap for many teams in the past, and it will continue to be so in the future. Adrian Martinez will face a stiff road test in this one. I'm interested to see how he responds to the adversity that this raucous environment at Iowa State in Ames will present. Uh, again, must-watch television. That's why I put it on this list, ladies and gentlemen. Also, another one, uh, this one coming out of the ACC, our last matchup of the day to look into. Um, Florida State travels to NC State, number 14 NC State. Uh, Florida State was ranked just last week, and they got a veteran quarterback in quarterback Jordan Travis. Meanwhile, this NC State team is highly ranked, but has looked unimpressive thus far. Devin Leary in particular has looked straight up bad. I'll just go out and say it. This game is firmly on upset watch in my mind. Florida State has a good chance to go in there and uh, make some things very uncomfortable for the NC State faithful. I'll just say that much. And with that, we are out of the college football for the day. We are out of the woods only hour 48 minutes into the pod i did take a bathroom break there and a couple of drink breaks so maybe not that long but either way no time to dilly about yeah, nope nope time to dilly dally let's get right down there into that pick pantathlon This 
is the Pick Pentathlon. And uh, yeah, let's get the let's get the bad stuff out of the way right away. You heard me referring to it about seven million times in the Tuesday episode, but it was a bad week, a back-to-back bad weeks for the Pick Pentathlon. I had to look myself in the mirror and ask myself if I still wanted to do this, but I'm. I'm, I'm delusional. I'm going to keep doing this thinking I'm going to have an undefeated week every single week. Uh, last week went 1-4. and four. Not great. 2-8 and eight overall. Boy, do I fucking suck at gambling. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call a cold streak. I, I stink at gambling right now, but money-making is an objective, um, unemotional game, folks. We know I am on an epic cold streak here, right? 2-8 and eight over the last 10. Not great overall. And I think I'm going to bounce back this week because I'm delusional, but you out there, non-invested listener, you can flip that record on its head and say, hey, betting this straight up, it's 2-8. and eight. But if I just fade these picks and stay away from the touchdown scorer props, that's a 6-2 and two stretch right there, partner. All that is to say, we are officially in fade Caleb season until uh, proven otherwise. I'm still riding this with my own picks because you you all might have a real money-making opportunity here, but I have to ride with my own mind here. Um, you might have the money-making opportunity here, though, by seeing what I like and going blindly against it. As per the, as per the trends thus far, it has not been good for me. Uh, also, housekeeping item here, the anytime touchdown score props I realized are going to destroy my gambling record in the long run because they're just such a crapshoot when it's all said and done. There's a reason they're in plus money for basically all the touchdown scorer props. Uh, so I'll still give that as a bonus pick, uh, but for the purposes of this segment, I'm going to replace it with a over-under yardage prop for a player in Thursday Night Football. And I forgot to type out these picks. I got them on my phone, so let me just pull this up right quick. Alrighty, starting off uh, with the pick pentathlon, I got the favorite. I'm taking the Eagles minus five and a half over, did not see who they were playing. It's the Cardinals that they are playing this week. That Cardinals team, I mean, I've seen this this movie before. The Cardinals team, they are not as good as the Vikings are, and the Eagles are going to go into their house, and I think they're going to strangle them early, get out to a big lead, and then just sit on that lead. I like the Eagles minus five and a half against the Cardinals this week. Uh, Falcons for the underdog here, plus eight and a half against the Bucks this week. That is entirely too many for Arthur Smith, particularly in a divisional game. That will be closer than eight and a half, eight and a half points. You can guarantee that one. That is not that is that is the the gimme line of the week as far as I'm concerned. Plus eight and a half, the Bucks versus the Falcons, or the Falcons rather going up against the Bucks. As far as my over, I am taking. Lions versus Patriots over 46 and a half. And you might be looking at the Patriots offense and being like, stay away from the overs on that one. But I mean, I watched them go up against a a solid Green Bay Packers defense last week in London. And if we're talking over-unders here, combined with the Green Bay Packers, they ended up putting 24 points on the board on their own. Green Bay ended up putting 27. I mean, that's 51 right there and the Lions have a better overall offense than what the uh what the the Packers had even even with Aaron Rodgers back there so I know this Patriots offense can score this Lions defense will allow them to score 46 and a half that's an attractive number I'm taking the over on the Lions versus Patriots over 46 and a half uh also I have got on the under 
Rams at Cowboys. Um, 45 and a half points. I mean, the Rams offensive line is porous. The Cowboys defensive line, headlined, of course, by Micah's Parson. Micah Parsons, is ferocious and disgusting to look at. Uh, they are going to be in the Rams' kitchen all night, not allowing a whole lot of scores. And we all know what Cooper Rush is bringing on the other side. It's going to be tough for him to score with all those stars in the Rams' defense. 45.5 is simply too many points in my book. I'm taking the under for that Rams versus Cowboys matchup. And to replace uh, the the touchdown scoring prop in the record portion of this, I am taking a, a player prop in this one. Naheem Hines in this Thursday night matchup uh, to go over 26.5 receiving yards. Not rushing yards, receiving yards. He's going to be starting in place of Jonathan Taylor, and he's going to get a whole lot of work in relief. Also, going up against that that Denver defense, they've given up some some big, relatively big days to running backs uh, through the air thus far. I know Jeff Wilson had, I think it was like five or 50-some 50, 50 yards receiving at one point, I believe, or 30-some yards. Either way, much more than what Naheem Hines is uh, projected to have as his prop anyways. Um, and he is a weapon on the backfield, maybe the best receiving back in the entire league. I like Naheem Hines over 26 and a half receiving yards, especially with, uh, with Ramsey, not Ramsey, different, different team, especially with certain on the outside, locking down Michael Pittman. I feel like the backs and the tight ends are going to play a big role for the, for the Colts in this one. So going down the list for this week on the pick pentathlon, I have got Eagles minus five and a half Falcons plus eight and a half Lions Patriots over 46 and a half Rams Cowboys under 45 and a half and Naheem Hines, to go over 26 and a half receiving yards in that Thursday night game. And a little bonus pick for you because I said I would do it. Uh, go for the anytime touchdown score with Melvin Gordon. Javante Williams isn't back there anymore. Uh, Mike Boone's going to take a few snaps, but Melvin Gordon's going to be the bell cow back there. Uh, I think last time I checked it was plus 125, plus 130 on that prop. That's a nice little bonus pick for you. Hasn't worked out thus far, but I feel very good about that Melvin Gordon TD score prop. Uh, with that, though... That is all for this episode. Trying to wrap this up before the recording hits two hours. But if you enjoyed, subscribe. Leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy, just keep removing, my guy. What what, what does it hurt to uh, just stay silent about these things or tell people it was uh, it was good anyways because I want the... Uh, I want the good publicity. I'm, I'm fiending for it. Give me the compliments even if I don't deserve it, damn it. Uh, I release episodes two times a week during the football season. NFL on Tuesdays. College football plus Monday Night Football recap on today, Thursdays. Uh, any additions or changes, I'll let y'all know as they occur, as I usually do. Uh, follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern block name. Uh, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email to unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That's unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly, my dude. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about, but you're going to have to trust me on this one. One thing I learned this week, minus 40 degrees is the same temperature in both Fahrenheit and Celsius, and you can look that up. Uh, that is what we call a fun fact on the way out the door, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you later. Have a have a good weekend. Enjoy all the football. I am going to eat approximately three dozen muffins.